Okay, good. Now we're recording. Excellent. So um, maybe just a very brief introduction into what we're going to talk about today, and then we can take it from there. Um, sure. Consciousness as a topic was what we were wanting to narrow in on and expand on. Um, and I was just saying to you before we started recording that a lot of people I work with are curious and have the question often, like, what even is consciousness um, in the context of Western psychology, in the context of yoga and philosophy? Like, it seems like a word we're saying a lot these days, you know, in, in many of the spiritual disciplines, like consciousness, consciousness, and we're all looking towards consciousness. So um, maybe we can just start there. Like, what does it mean for you when you use that word or hear somebody say that word? What is the, the essence of it? Yeah, I think it's really important because, you know, now we have the discipline of consciousness studies, which, you know, sociologists, psychologists, philosophers, neuroscientists, they all participate in that discipline. And of course, people from all different countries with very different points of view on reality and perception. And there are no definitions that sort of expand across all disciplines or across all cultures. So it's a really interesting moment, you know, for that word in and of itself. What does it mean? What does it represent? Um, for me, being that uh, I'm a yoga psychologist, long-term practitioner of yoga, I like to say that consciousness is the field in which reside all the impulses of the universe. I take a real sort of Vedic uh, approach to consciousness, knowledge, the place where knowledge is structured, if you will. I hate to even say place. Again, some of these words definitely break down, you know, mm -hmm. field, place. They're just pointers, as all words are, right? All words can do is like point us, um, but we never want to really bind or grasp. Just let the words sort of direct. But that's the way that I would define consciousness, the field in which reside all the potentiality potentialities of uh, the universe, if you will, of the cosmos, um, and where knowledge is structured. So the knowledge is actually held within consciousness. So there's almost some kind of a equation there as well, consciousness and knowledge um, work hand in hand. You don't get one without the other. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's not an epiphenomenon of brain process, which a lot of neuroscientists would describe consciousness as that, right? Um, doesn't have to do, it, consciousness has to do with everything ultimately in the end. Um, but certainly the way that I look at it isn't from the narrowed point of view of, um, the correlations, you know, between certain neurons and firing and different brain processes that consciousness actually um, is the field in which all that takes place. But it's also that which is taking place as well. That would be that would be mine. How about yours? Yeah, I resonate with all of that. I, re I mean, I like the idea that it's the field in which it's all happening. Um, and knowledge being sort of tied in this way to consciousness. 
there being this direct relationship between the two. I always had, I've always struggled with the idea um, that, you know, when it gets re reduced, I'm fascinated by the brain and, and the different ways that the firing of nerves works and the, the different phenomenon that comes out of just the, the actual human mind and the human experience. But I've always found myself being a little frustrated by the limitations almost of that approach, like when it doesn't encompass more, um, more approaches, when it doesn't look at the universal field of awareness outside. You know, the idea to me that a human being is the center of all of this or that everything is being, and I'm not saying that's what a neuro, um, neurobiologist or scientist believes, but the idea that a human could be the center of, of the cosmos has always been a little problematic for me. It's like, um, I, I like the idea of um, like a hologram or, you know, like in the fractal images where, one piece contains the whole and the whole contains the piece and there's they're totally tied to each other so of course the human is the center of it and they're also not the center of it they're they're enveloped in it and they're also a witness to it so it's sort of like this place for me where there are no definitive answers it's a place of yes this and this you know like it's um the place so for knowledge to come into form or to, to even be perceived or come into form, I think of like a space, like a womb, a, 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 an open space that something has to form in. And I guess I've always kind of intuitively felt like consciousness is the realization of oneself or the idea, the, the ability to notice um, in an actual moment to be a witness of the phenomenon that are arising, but then also still knowing that you're just barely tapping into such a, such a larger field of awareness. So I just think of the two parts of a field of, of awareness and then that which is also holding that field, allowing phenomenon to arise and emerge out of it. Um, so in that way, it becomes very hard for me. And I think that's, maybe why there is no working definition exactly between all these fields is because we're, I think at the beginning of our journey or maybe, you know, many, many um, civilizations ago, we, we maybe even understood more about it than we do now. But it seems like we're at the beginning of the journey in science at least and our li linguistic skills, having the ability to define it, like a work in progress. Sure, I think we also should continue to take clues from India, right? So Brahman, which is very, very hard to translate into English, um, but of course a core principle, uh, fundamental concept to all of Orthodox Indian traditions. Um, but they have Nirguna and they speak to Nirguna and Saguna Brahman, guna being attributes, Nir meaning without, Sa with. So it basically means the ineffable. Ultimately, you really can't talk about it because the moment you start in, in Brahman, if I can just back up a little bit, um, is often translated as pure consciousness or consciousness. And the absolute God, capital S self, those are other translations as well. But definitely in the Upanishadic tradition, it's pointing towards consciousness being all there is, consciousness as reality. And, and again, they, they then go ahead and make two categories, the Nirguna and Saguna Brahman. 
because they know right off the top that ultimately it's beyond being spoken of and words are going, even though um, in the beginning there was the word and the word was God, um, but also, you know, own, you know, the primordial sound of the universe, like the sound is definitely ushering forth and bringing forth consciousness. Um, but you just have to be very careful because the moment you start to give it some kind of attributes you're winding away into some kind of bind and that's the exact thing when we talk about self-realization that we want to avoid is the binds and the release of any of those binds or any of those blocks so it is it's definitely tricky territory um mm -hmm. but uh, <laughs> yeah yeah and in the um field of embodiment, if you will, or the process of embodiment, I think that becomes the fun part is like, okay, we can't talk about it, but how do we can't, but we can, and, you know, as we watch the energy in the body and we watch the, you know, look at the mind body unity, you know, a lot of the fun stuff that we're going to be doing in behind the asanas, really looking at, you know, the mental body, the emotional body, the spiritual body, the physical body, and how does consciousness uh, show up or get hidden? Mm -hmm. yeah that seems to be like when we for me sometimes when there's something that's huge and undefinable that I can't, I can't really exactly put my finger on or define it's like so what is one way that I that I can start to explore it uh, certainly not an end point but a beginning point is okay so it's difficult to define what it is what is it not so where where it gets lost what does it look like when I'm not very conscious of myself my surroundings my my body mind spirit um what my emotions and so um it seems almost like in the human perspective that can have an impact on our daily life you know as we're exploring consciousness it's how do i become aware of who i am you know how do i become intimately connected to and aware of my body the thought process that happen how do i become the observer that witnesses the patterns that emerge um in my life and how do i how do I notice my emotions and express them and receive them and start to get into a flow where I know who I am uh, as much as I can in any given moment. But, you know, for me, the embodiment piece has been about getting to know myself and having some awareness rather than for many years, I think before I started to have some of these yogic experiences or spiritual experiences, I, I don't think I did know who I was. I thought I did, but what I knew was sort of the, the mind, the mind chatter, the mind generated aspect of all the different components of life, whether it was culture or family or, you know, my genetics, the, the way that I, I perceived myself was certainly not conscious in the way that it started slowly over the years uh, to start to come in as I'm exploring who am I. And that's been for me since a tiny age like what was so i was been so curious about like who am i like what what is this all about and sometimes it drives me nuts that there is no working definition and i can't figure it out um but exploring it in a safe space i think leads to it's it is fun like there's it's it's fun to look at these these ideas like what are we all doing here and where is here and what is here and who and who am i and when am i and just all of these things which you know, can drive you 
endlessly crazy if it's all a head exercise and, and if it's not starting to be a lived experience of getting to know yourself in an intimate way. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think it can be helpful too to use the term awareness for human consciousness and then like big C consciousness. Um, again, like the definitions can be really important here to remain logically consistent throughout the exploration. Yeah. And is that a, is, is that a, um, I think I was reading, it might've been Robert Johnson. I th- was mentioning like that was a, a, a young thing, like, like separating the difference between the terms of awareness and consciousness being one being what the humans experiencing one being like a larger collective sort of overarching or more expansive thing. Is that, am I saying that correctly? Like that, that for those of people listening who don't know much about it, um, would awareness be different in that it's somewhat more individual? Again, it's just really terms. I don't know um, what text you're referring to as Robert Johnson. And I don't, uh, recall Jung ever differentiating in it that way. It's definitely a way I do, and some of my colleagues in the field of consciousness studies, I've heard them do it as well. Um, it's just a way, I think, to be a little bit more clear because when we talk about human awareness, there's the awareness that things can always be falling into the shadow. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use a big word here, but we'll unpack it. But from an ontological perspective, from the perspective of reality, the reality of our being, that's Brahman. That's what the Indian tradition is pointing to. And that reality of our being can never go unconscious. And in the Rig Veda, there was five terms for the word unconscious. And then that word became obsolete. And then they, you know, started folding in avidya, which means, you know, vidya is wisdom, avidya is non-wisdom, or in that system of thought, right, uh, wisdom and perception kind of go hand in hand. So it's avidya is non-wisdom, but also not being able to perceive, being blocked from view, something being veiled. And and. In my opinion, that allows that whole Indian tradition to remain so logically consistent by taking that term unconscious out because ontologically speaking, from the reality of our being, this thing never goes unconscious. What happens is we split off. The mind tries to take ownership and then the body falls into shadow is one example and one perhaps huge turn of what's happened in Cartesian dualism or since Descartes doubt, right? We've real the mind, the intellect came to signify consciousness. Human intellect came to signify consciousness. And yeah. look what's happened as a result, right? It's so interesting that you bring that up. I was having this, I don't know if it was in a dream one of the last few nights. It's like it's so funny to me how that always happens. That things overlap, but I was remembering back in the 10th grade and we had to do pick a philosopher and and do like a, a write up on them, you know? Um, and I, I came across this, I think therefore I am um, sort of perspective. And I remember just being like, 
confused by it. Like, I mean, I was young and I was being drawn into it and like, oh yeah, that, oh, I, totally that. Yeah, that makes sense. And then as time went by, kind of just being like, so does this mean that my very existence is predicated on my ability to think, to process thought, to be, you know, like, and I had, I always had a bit of trouble with that, you know, and, and then when I found the, the yogic tradition and path, I think I was like around 19 and um, was exposed to it by someone who was not so much like a, like a Western flow base, but, you know, more steeped in, in traditional wisdom, I guess you could say. And um, it was mind blowing to start to open up to like, oh, right. So that's just one layer of it, you know? And, and so I would be curious to ask you, like, I, I know that I had definitely had a lot of resistance to that idea. Um, and I certainly never studied um, this philosopher in, in such a depth that I could, you know, talk a lot about it. But this idea of, I think, therefore I am becoming um, such a, such a heavily um, embodied, a, an idea that culture has started to really like revolve around, it seems like to me in the West, um, like, curious to hear what you think some of the limitations of, of that sort of mentality would be or the philosophy of thinking being the birth of, you know, cognition being the recognized place of um, I amness, so to speak. Like, how does that limit us as a society? Well, um, I think we can look around and see the ravages of what it's done to us as a society. I think our environmental issues, I think this mass extinction of species, um, I think the proliferation of um, pedophilia or um, abuse to children, uh, because there, it, in that turn towards consciousness being equated to cognition or the prefrontal cortex, um, emotions got left behind. Um, you know, Western science didn't maybe the last 40 years, if we're lucky, started turning towards emotions um, and looking at them with the value and the respect that they deserve. Um, so I, I think a lot of the degradation of the feminine, the harm to the planet, uh, the, the mental illness, the rise of mental illness, uh, I think those are all indicative actually of this, the Cartesian doubt and the turn towards Cartesian dualism for sure. That would, that would be my reflection on that. How about you? I really resonate with all of that. Um, I think you hit it on the head for me when this sort of degradation of the feminine or the turning away from, um, you know, for me, that's, that is our care for how we steward things related to mother, our planet, our bodies, ourselves, you know, the parts of us, how we nourish and care for. And a lot of this idea of the intellect and the thinking uh, being prioritized highly above everything else um, I can go back and remember even in elementary school and junior high and high school and university where it's like, if you want to get into the right school, then you don't take drama and art and, and music and, you know, you take science and you take math and you take, you know, you take your AP biology and your calculus and all of that. Um, and, and there wasn't much 
placed on, you know, the expressive arts uh, in, in any way. They were definitely second tier to the thinking, uh, thinking arts and the sciences, which are undoubtedly beneficial, but there was such an imbalance and, um, you know, it, it was the joke, right? Like, and then people get to university and they're like, oh yeah, I'll just take drama because it's easy. And it's not easy at all, like to get up in front of a bunch of people and be expressive and, you know, practice these things that require vulnerability. Um, and that's the main thing for me that I reflect on is like, in my own life, when I get really caught in the thinking part, whether it's like I'm in a, you know, reflection, a, a conflict with my husband, or, you know, I'm trying to work through a problem. If I get caught in the intellect, my vulnerability disappears. And then my ability to really connect seems to totally diminish. Um, and I think that's where I see the large, in my own life, that, that definitely makes me feel isolated and um, you know, you get stuck in needing the need to be right, or like, I think the intellect has a way of viewing things, um, and it has less of the capacity to occupy uh, the spectrum in between polarities of a, of a school of thought and be open to it's this and it's this. I'm sensitive and I'm strong, right? Like, there's these neglected parts that come about when everything is thinking based. And my biggest fear right now, as I look at society, and because I'm in kind of into astrology, um, you know, we, as we come into the age of Aquarius, just like these, these questions about technology is where I get the most fear. Like, if because it's humans who are, who are very intellectual, who are thinking and programming and creating this artificial intelligence. And I, I wonder about, you know, this, what happens when our, uh, to use the word awareness rather than consciousness, what happens when our uh, ability to think and create is exceeding our awareness for our, our being as a whole? Like, what is that creation going to reflect back to us? And is it going to be very singular in its programming and its thinking and its learning in, in terms of achieving a goal or an outcome, rather than being able to take in the complexity of information around us? And so for me, the, the heavy reliance on the intellect and the thinking, and even like this idea that like, I exist because I think it totally just leaves us in a place of fragmentation. Like I'm not whole when I'm stuck there. And um, I know for a lot of people, that's the safe place. Like that's where it was for me growing up. It was safe to be smart. It was safe to do well in school and achieve and have a strong intellect. Um, feelings weren't such a safe territory. And it took well into my adult life to come into a place where they are a safer territory and vulnerability is safe and connecting is safe. So, you know, until we, until we start to reclaim some of those places, I fear that we'll remain fragmented uh, versions or versions of ourselves that are not operating at our full potential. And then the things we birth and create that may take on a life of their own um, oh. may not have their ability to be whole in themselves. Absolutely. I mean, for sure, technology, I mean, technology in and of itself is neither good nor bad, right? It's, it's neutral. A knife in and of itself is neither good nor bad. It's neutral. It's what we do with these things that ends up being painful or beneficial. And um, I think we might even be able to in the last four years and the last 10 years, I mean, the rise of the internet age 
and also the rise of disinformation, misinformation, alt facts. Again, when we um, correlate consciousness with the prefrontal cortex or with the part of the mind brain that narrates stories, and we cut out the emotion, the instincts, the body, the intuition. If, so if emotion, intuition, instinct, and intellect are not on an equal playing field, right? You've, you've taken the intellect and the ability to narrate a story and you've elevated it above the rest. Now there's such a huge margin of error in what will obfuscate what will uh, yeah just be complete and utter a, a, a psyche overrun by fantasy and not actually a level of reality and just you know in, if we have power players in positions of you know high political office um who don't don't understand you know the the depths of how everything is unified if we don't have power players in the tech industry who don't understand how everything is unified, then, you know, we have leaders who are um, turning the human family um, down very treacherous territory because it's leading us, again, into more obfuscation and further away from the intelligence of our emotions and the intelligence of our innate instinctual and intuitive world so it's definitely a a moment right now that we're a really critical it seems to be extremely critical slash pivotal moment that we're living through to really wake up and call ourselves back into the body and that you know, even though a lot, some of us can fear it or resist it, um, if we want to survive in a way that's healthy and thriving, we need to, we need to face those fears and, and uh, manage those resistances and, and do the work to get ourselves, you know, into our emotional world in a safe way. And that's what's beautiful about or can be beautiful about yoga communities and healing communities, right? Is being able to hold that safe space. So um, we can direct that energy along more viable pathways and not into the, the pathology of a fantasy that's, that's completely disembodied. That's, I mean, that's so critical what you're saying, I think about the fantasy and how when we're so based up in the head um, and detached from the instincts and emotions uh, and in intuition. It, I'm witnessing, you know, members of all communities that, I mean, go through this and, and myself included go through a really difficult time where it's like, I have trouble believing what's, I, I don't know what's what anymore, what's true anymore, what information sources to feel uh, safe and trusting with. And I mean, we could probably go, we set the intention of having this be, you know, not like an hour or something. So we, we could probably spend a very long time talking about how we've come to this place. Um, but when you're talking about the specific area of, the fantasy coming up and like 
it's really, it really hits me strong uh, because so much of the ways that I've lived my life in the last years since having more awareness and being more embodied is through the feeling centers and through my intuition and instinct, like this feels right. So I'll do it for me, you know, and what's right for me, of course, might not be right for anyone else. But for me, this feels like the right, the right thing, the right path. And my sensors, because there's so much up right now for what's right and what's not like they go through periods of time where it's, it's difficult to sense and to feel. Um, and I think part of that is my head is trying to make sense of so much information on very, um, opposite ends of spectrums, many people whom I respect occupying completely different opposite ends of these spectrums. And that can go for whether I'm talking about COVID, politics, the environment, like vaccinations, like, I mean, and pregnant, so pregnancies, like how to deal with all these things and these incredibly different polarized perspectives. And so it seems really relevant to the times as you're, you're talking about like the, the fantasy that can be created when I get lost in my mind, which is happening a lot with so much of the, you know, pulling, I feel like almost of my energy in different directions, I feel disoriented, confused, and very tempted to decide what, what I align with and just stick with that. Cause it feels, you know, safer and it feels more, um, I don't know, it feels more familiar. Uh, and, and I have to keep constantly reminding myself like, okay, no, like, I don't know. A lot of us don't know. We're still in a place of figuring out and how does it feel? But it, it becomes difficult for me to trust those feeling sensors as I can feel the collective energy that we're all dialed into swirling with so much uncertainty and so much fantasy and so much just unground. I, I don't know, for me, it feels ungrounded energy uh, as, a, as a collective, as a group. Um, so getting, getting back into the body and getting grounded as I'm navigating this field of awareness is, is challenging right now. It's been really, really challenging over the last couple of months and the last month in particular. Um, so, you know, breath and yoga and sitting and uh, mantra and prayer, like some of these are ways that I can come in, uh, to myself, um, and I guess what I'm, what I'm wondering, you know, since you are such a wealth of information in this, in this place, how do you think people can, while there's so much fantasy floating around, like, what would you say to those listening right now who are like, I'm feeling, I describe it as floaty, like I'm, I'm kind of floaty and confused and wanting to, wanting to know the truth. What's the truth, you know? And I, you know, what would you say to those people who are trying to find something to hold on to, to get grounded um, in a place where everything's so chaotic right now? Um, well, I would say that if when you say something to hold on to, like a concept or, or an idea, yeah. um, the one and only thing I would say to ever hold on to is that consciousness is all there is. And that when we're willing to consistently surrender into what I'll call that truth with a capital T, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and again, we could at another time for sure go down the pathway because in the Western canon and in, in Western philosophy, right? Truth 
is relative. <laughs> Along with that Cartesian turn, it's also this idea that all truth is relative. Not so in the Indian tradition when it comes to, again, Brahman, consciousness is reality. That's truth with a capital T. So as yoga practitioners, that can be, uh, it actually can be a very comforting, um, fierce and fiery. Like we never want to pretend that tapas isn't one of the top three Kriya yogas. Like, you know, like yoga is a path of fire. There's, There's no spiritual uh, bypass in real yoga. You sit and you burn through fire. You burn through all your karmic binds, you know, and when I use the term karma, I, 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 it's an educative force. It's showing us where have you blocked off, right? Um, and, and, and to me, that brings us, you know, again, another topic for another time would be the cosmic body that right now I really feel like 2020 in particular is really uh, pushing us. And and again, this is very coherent and logically consistent in the Indian canon. Astrology is folded right in there in the West. You know, it's something that's broken off and still fragmented and fragmented. It's not a real science. Um, So, you know, we're, we're continually not forced, but encouraged to remain within some kind of egoic prefrontal cortex idea of trying to make our way through this time. No, that's what's completely broken down. Mm-hmm. We, we must now um, find ways and means. I think there is a reason why we're importing yoga so voraciously that many of us have sensed it, you know, for a long period of time now since the 60s, 70s, the wave, you know, um, that has come over from the East in these practices. And that um, that consciousness is all there is, that that is the one true North Star. And that when we can, can keep surrendering to that, and remember what we talked about our definitions at the beginning, that knowledge is structured in that. So that's why we can keep letting go and keep surrendering. Okay, if I'm in a lot of pain and a lot of fire in something that's in my knowing or not knowing of the world, how can I let go of that bind? And where is the knowledge? Where was it cordoned off? Where did it go? Where in my body? Where is my gut clenched? Am I ridden with anxiety in my nervous system? The body keeps the score as we now in trauma medicine, as we've really, you know, trauma medicine to me in the West has shown such a brilliant light back to yoga and all the yogic knowledge that our body is keeping the score. And whether it's eating out of anxiety or, you know, um, talking a lot nervously because you know that that when we do the shadow work when we look when we look within we can find where it's getting bound and hidden and what avenues is eking it, it, it's eking out the, the the anxieties and the fears so and that was a long-winded way i know but but what, again i guess just to distill it consciousness is all there is that's the one thing that we want to ground into 
so it's the one idea to hold loosely we never want to hold tightly because then it, you just find it again so just hold it really loosely so if consciousness is all there is what does that mean it means you can never escape that reality that's the reality so if you get confused in your mind it's showing up somewhere the truth is showing up somewhere else and that is in you know the, the body that we're sitting in but also the environmental body truth is showing up there too and the cultural body the truth shows up in the cultural body mm -hmm. yeah it seems like right now it's sort of showing up everywhere <laughs> like like the way i'm seeing it is we can't deny anymore the things that we've sort of been like i feel like collectively and many of us individually oh look at that later you know oh the environment we can we can take care of that we've got some time you know we'll we'll figure it out or my, your own health how you feed yourself how you treat your own body like oh there's always later and i i really noticed for my myself my mind will do that uh, well i can i can address that later and what i've been finding as the best grounding tool for me now is really like if I look at to me what consciousness is all there is means it's like right now like what's happening right now in the present and this is what all of these any truth that I've read from or, or been a part of or invited into um, from yoga from indigenous cultures that I feel have deeply rooted wisdom from psychology from people I've talked to it's like there's this consistent thread of wisdom about now the present right now and I, I get really lost when I'm um, and I have to ask myself like what where is this I kind of get a moment of observation and awareness and I go well, where where am I right now am I in the past am I kind of going down a story a fantasy line of the future you know and is this causing a reaction in my body based on my thoughts or is it a true present moment emotional you know experiential thing that's happening right now and as I'm really working to discern the difference between the two, which is not an easy task at all, um, I'm finding when I'm present now, and I can find that through either my breath or, or my thoughts or my observation or movement, whatever it is, I don't experience the fantasy. I don't, the, all those things, these ideas that I try to cling to and hold to, they soften, they kind of fall to the side. They're not important in the moment. And what's important is what's the next right thing for me based on right now, just right now in this moment, is it happening now? Is it happening in front of me, around me, in my family, in my relationship, in my community? Because it can get really big, you know, to start thinking, well, this is going to happen and this and this and this, and there's all these doomsday things and all these things floating around, it takes me right out of my body. I'm gone. As soon as I go down that path, and then I've forgotten to nourish my body. I've forgotten to eat. I've forgotten to drink water. I've, I've, I've really left for a period of time. If I'm thinking about, you know, the past or what's happening in the future or playing out all these, I love how you call them fantasies. Um, and so just some of the, the tools maybe for people listening that are really simple are like, you know, stop, just take a slow breath, you know, like I'm going to, listen to my body is it hungry what does it want am i thirsty can i go outside and just be outside for a minute and it's easy to get so pulled into all of these different directions but when i'm here right now i can have 
sometimes an experience of being, I don't know if this is the technologically or not technologically, the technically right way to say it, but being with awareness or with the all that is, that that truth with the capital T, I can never find it in the past or the future. I can only find it for a taste for a moment, like if I'm really dialed into what I'm doing right now. So, you know, it's like, and, and to me, what you said about the body, that's the body. Like for me, it's, it's here. It's right now. It's like, oh yeah, I'm in this thing. I'm in this vehicle and it's now. And, and so I don't know, you know, how exactly that relates from a scientific perspective to the, to the brain and to the thinking and the I amness generated by thinking. But to me, it seems like the link is a little broken right now for most of us and, and collectively between the, the thinking I am and that I am actually here. Like I am because because I am, like that's it, like I'm here. Um, so I don't know if any of that kind of makes sense or if it's just my perspective of, of how I've been coping with it. But coming back to I'm here and not getting lost in, in so many stories that my mind wants to not only make up, but jump on, you know, that I'm hearing being presented to me through friends, peers, family, media, um, television shows, movies, all of these things. And just being careful what I'm consuming, you know, being careful where I'm spending the resources of my energy. Um, those are things that are sort of helping a little. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still kind of a mess, I feel like, <laughs> right now, but um, they help in the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, the congruence, right? I mean, Patanjali, uh, author of the Yoga Sutras, opens his text with now. Now is an exposition of yoga. That word now is like so critically important. So congruence, getting our energy 100% in present time. Uh, you know, we can throw that out there, but it really is no easy task per se. And, and again, especially um, looking at more through a yogic lens, right? We know for Patanjali and the Buddha, the Buddha was a yogi, you know, they meditated for long periods of time. They brought in past lives. They had capacities for precognition. So the future and the past are folded into the present in those systems of thought. Yeah. Um, so I think right now with COVID, you know, and, and so uh, people's fear of death has come up, people's fear of illness, people's fear of hospitals, many things. Um, but we also have a pandemic of fear going on. So we've got yeah. the pandemic of the illness, but we have a pandemic of fear. And so, um, a lot of people are experiencing anxiety and being aware and a hundred percent in the present moment. And that's where that, that ability to cultivate the witness, to cultivate that awareness and be able to say, okay, this is the body. This is the body when it has anxiety, what breathing practices can I do to try to mitigate this anxiety? Now, maybe my body has anxiety because it is picking up, you know, how animals, sense the earthquake before it comes and they run up the mountain. Mm -hmm. Our bodies are no different, right? They're, they're, they are potentially sensing a huge turn of the wheel here. Like mm -hmm. this is a fear, again, it's a fierce moment. So um, I would say at least right now, it isn't about, we don't want to pressurize ourselves to be like, oh my God, I have anxiety and then start all that mental abuse, which is just stories as well. Those are stories on top of stories, right? It's really working with practitioners to find the tools that work best for us to mitigate that anxiety, 
breathing track yoga is you know yoga and its breathing tools and its asanas is, is so strong so we can be present that doesn't mean the anxiety might maybe it doesn't eradicate right but it's the you know feel the fear and do it anyway you feel it anyway you're still that doesn't you can still stand right in tadasana mountain pose and maybe there's still a little bit of anxiety in there but i'm here mm -hmm. yeah i love i love that Show and, and it and it is really like that's that I, for me that's what it's about is like releasing the judgment around you know the fluctuations of, of the mind and the emotions and all of the things it's like this is part of the human experience to have these ranges of emotions and to have all of the different like we came i think i feel came for having the human experience so i to to judge myself for being human and having some of these sometimes perceived as more yucky or you know sometimes they get labeled as as negative or bad emotions and experiences and i i don't it's taken me a long time to undo that belief that the fear or anxiousness or sadness or anger is is bad you know and to to know that it's a part of this it's a part of it and you know i have to have a safe contained way of expressing and receiving and going through those emotions but at the same time like to judge myself for them is it just makes it worse it makes it harder um and and a lot of mental health practitioners whether they be therapists um coaches yogic scholars yoga teachers across even some pastors you know and, and people who work uh, in religious service i've talked to are struggling and then also judging themselves because you know we're supposed to have quote unquote you know some good some better regulation and we're supposed to know what to do and i think like you said calling attention to the fact this is a very fierce time this is a and it's okay like we're none of us are perfect you know what even is this need to, to to be perfect and to bypass these more difficult things and just being gentle with ourselves you know as we feel them like it's okay it's okay to be anxious like like you said too maybe maybe we're intuiting something that's really big and intense and that's a normal part of, of that. One of my teachers who I respect so much, she says, I guess you kind of have to know her, like maybe to hear this and, and not have a reaction to it, but she'll say, says, a lack of fear makes you stupid. Like it, may, it really does. Lack of fear makes you stupid. You cannot be in touch with your instincts without having some form of cord and link to fear. And because and, your instincts tell you move, do this do that like go go right don't go don't walk down that alley you know and as we're dealing with the fierceness of the time i just keep coming back to and some of the the people in my life who i go to you know friends and, and family and colleagues to get feedback from just keep saying too like we're all reminding each other to give ourselves grace you know and to be in a position during this time where it is so fierce and unknown like What's it like to be the mountain in Tadasana and witness the changes in weather? The mountain's there for a very long time and lots of seasons and lots of cycles. And, you know, it just, it stands in it and, and stays with it. Um, yeah, so I, I'm really practicing releasing the judgment around 
um, some of the fluctuations that I've been having and some of the fears and the unknowns that come up and how the unknowns make my body feel. And it's a new practice to stay in and with my body while I experience these things rather than to sort of leave them or numb them or, you know, just what the like to see the mountain and stay there. So I really, that really resonated with me when you said, you know, Tadasana mountain, it's like, yeah, it just, just stays there steady and firm during all of the things. That's right. Right. It, it, and that's uh, going back to this idea of consciousness is all there is. Um, opening up the Shashun Nanadi or, just, you know, having that, having enough of the central channel anchored in that truth, that consciousness is all there is. You know, we just, that threshold, I want to say, is pretty significant. When we just, when we can hold that midline, not perfectly, but when we hold it to, a, um, you know, and we're able to witness or be in the place of the witness and, you know, maintain that balance, um, again, not perfectly, I don't, so it's hard to articulate because I don't even know how to put it on the scale. Like maybe yes. just, you know, six, when you go past five, like when you do it just enough, um, then life really starts to change dynamically because exactly what you're saying, we don't get swept into the patterns that um, have us leave the body. We're able now, it's a totally different turn to stay with the body as the body experience the intensities of the anxieties or the fears, you know, or the whatever the bind is, but we're able to actually stay with it. And that's the fire, right? That's the purification process. And, you know, if we could sub out words for yoga, purification process, integration, you know, wholeness, unity. And, you know, this is, this is the path. That's the yogic, that's the beauty of the yogic journey and this is a fierce moment but if not us who if not when you know so it just it is what it is no judgment we don't want to judge it we be here now right Ram Das nailed it be here now I love those they're such simple profound statements and then so hard to do <laughs> it's like so hard to do and what you're saying about the, the scale of it's like, it's, it is impossible to say, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to hold my presence and awareness perfectly. Like, and I, I know exactly what you mean when you're, I think when you're saying like, how do you even quantify it or say it? But it's like, I'm at least I'm intending to stay. I'm intending with myself to, to not abandon myself during this time. And I'm intending to have awareness for the ways I might normally do that. And then as I get an itch to, to do that, whatever it is, maybe I do it. Maybe I do abandon myself for a moment, but I'm, I'm like, oh, there I go, abandoning myself, right? And it's easier than to call myself back and, and with grace and go, okay, yeah, I did the thing. I, I did the thing, and, but, but I'm here now and I'm intending again to stay with myself. And I think that purification process, it's, it's edging things out. And like these other traditions that you mentioned, um, I, I, with the past and the future, you know, I do believe that we carry, you know, whether you believe in past lives or whether you believe in ancestral stuff, you know, like through our lineages, our genes, our shared cellular memory, we carry a lot that, that may be like, for example, one of the um, 
astrologers I listen to that I, I really like, not, she's not just an astrologer, she's really, I think, a leader in thought and consciousness, uh, Barbara Henclough, she, she talks a lot about like the inside all of us when cataclysms that, that we've undoubtedly experienced on planet Earth throughout the ages, no question, like we might have some cellular memory of that. And so when big things like, you know, it explains why we're so terrified when an asteroid, you know, gets close to earth or when there's a pandemic or when, you know, we can, we can tap into this shared um, ancestry that we have with our fellow humans, you know, way back that have gone through big cataclysmic events. And that can ignite a lot of fear and terror that even if you've already had lots of practice with grounding techniques and staying present, take you a little bit off center. But then the purification process as is in remembering, that's not right now. And if it is right now, I'll deal with it when, when it is, but it's not right now. And then I'm, you know, there is this idea that in energy work too, that, you know, as I'm able to stay and be a witness to maybe my ancestral traumas and, and memories or past lives, however you see that, I'm healing it because I'm there witnessing it. I didn't leave. I'm, and that aspect of myself has some piece of itself to receive that experience, that emotion. Because sometimes I find in energy work too, like we just need somebody to witness our story, witness our experience. So it's like there's all of these benefits to staying with ourselves. And I think it extends even beyond just the moment of what we're feeling sometimes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I bringing up the intergenerational piece uh, is, is is absolutely right on point. You know, because um, again, this is deep. It's layered. Uh, it's resonant. Um, and ultimately, yoga, like we just said, is integration. So we want to be present to all these processes as they come. And that, so we can fold them in. We don't want to repress them or, and again, that's the skill, right? That, that's the skillful means is when it, when it is overwhelming at some point in our lives and we develop um, addictions or eating disorders or, you know, ways to escape and push away. Uh, but then as we mature and realize, oh, I can't. You can't endlessly keep pushing this away without extreme detriment to the body. So I'm going to turn and face it and, you know, um, again, learn skillful ways to be with pain, to be with anxiety, but so I can integrate and fold in the knowledge of my ancestors, of my past lives. I actually invite it, right? Because it is, it is knowledge. It is wisdom um, in the bigger in the bigger picture, even though it feels very painful in the, uh, at, at some part of it. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, there is wisdom and knowledge to integrate there. And that's the boon, if we could use that term. That, that's the boon of it is to distill it, integrate it, and then embody, embody the wisdom. And then there's almost like, the spaciousness that comes with that, like the liberation and a lot of these, you know, ancient wisdom texts talk about liberation. And I, and I sometimes contemplate that, like what, what would liberation be like or feel like? And there's these moments where you do sit through the fire and you integrate or fold in the things that you've learned through being with 
with yourself on that journey. And there's these moments of liberation and, sp and spaciousness. And it's all, it's almost like, you know, we're then giving something back to the universal field that, that has come from our experience that maybe becomes wisdom for all in that field. And maybe as a, as a, as a species, that's part of how we also evolve our own level of awareness, you know, together collectively. Um, so it's like, we're, we do this work for ourselves first and foremost, and then there's, the ancestral lineage there's our our experiences and then there's us informing each other as a collective too it seems so can so individual but also so connected absolutely again from that big uh, you know uh indian uh upanishad uh perspective um it is it's it's, it's non-dual right it's singular it's absolute it's pure consciousness it's there's no other. It's only ever consciousness. So um, they're ultimately, even though it looks like we're separate, right? We're in different bodies, right? But that's part of the trick too. But wait, if I if I look around and see with different eyes, we're all breathing in and out of the same airfield. I don't care what continent you're on. And I, COVID is really proving that, right? If we never, if we didn't have that awareness before, COVID brought that wake up call. And we're all standing on the mm. same rock so that the separation breaks down at some level. We're all sharing, you know, the same beautiful planet. We're all breathing in and out of the same airfield. And um, likewise, with the mental body, there is an interdependence and an interconnection of all that phenomena so when we can unbind um it does it has effect on you know this one system but then the effects go far and wide from that as well yeah i i really i really love that and thinking about just all of the interconnectedness and maybe that's kind of like the note to, to end on. I don't think we're capable of doing a 20 minute podcast. <laughs> I always set these intentions. Oh, we'll just be a few minutes. And then I'm like, oh yeah, it's just been almost an hour, which is fine. But um, it's a good place to end, I think, because that's a, it is a message of like, not a bypassy type of hope, but the kind of hope that I think we all really need right now where, you know, it's, we're connected and, and maybe we're seeing through COVID the difficulty of that connection at times, but we needed to see it where we've, we've been blind to, to it. And I think it can be just as a beautiful thing as it can be troublesome, you know, when, when we are talking about something like a virus, whether it's a virus of fear or a virus that's physical, um, we're so connected and realizing that we're on this big, beautiful planet, but it's also so small. And there's 7 billion of us, that's so many, but it's also not that many, you know, um, in the great scheme of things. And we share so much in common. So um, I think if anything, like taking away this interconnectedness and, and remembering how similar we all are and the urge that so many are feeling to defend and, and polarize and, and, you know, be dug into a position, um, I think that only amplifies uh, the response in the other to do that as well. So coming to a place of remembering how connected we are and like, what as an individual can I do to contribute to the overall well-being of myself and others? Um, compassion and, and heart-centered awareness coming back to the seat in the heart where it's like, 
it's me and it's us. We're in it together and just sort of taking the edge off with our neighbors and our families and the people we run into on the streets who may be feeling different than us, whether we agree or not. There's, there's no denying anymore we're connected and that the harm we do to one influences you know, to the other and back to ourselves. So like, why not open our eyes, see that and let that be one of the, the beautiful lessons that can maybe come out of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's all go out there and be nice to each other <laughs> as much as we can. You know, like That's I right. We, we, all, we all bleed red blood, right? And that blood is highly dependent upon oxygen. Um, and we can certainly unify, you know, we could, we can absolutely unify uh, with these core needs, these core human needs. Um, we absolutely can for sure. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, thank you for this um, time together and this discussion. As always, I love it so much and um, excited to, to just make this available for people so that we are all kind of just exploring together and having discussions and seeing what we can figure out as we go by. That's right, and creating the safe space, right? So these discussions can happen and, and we can all learn and evolve and grow, yeah. So thank you. Always a pleasure for sure. I look forward to the next one. Yeah, me too. Likewise.